Listening Dog Media. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. I'm Kate Borsay. Phew. Day 18 brought us the biggest shock yet as the four-time champions USA crashed out of the World Cup, losing to Sweden on penalties in the last 16. Earlier today, we saw the Netherlands set up a clash with free-scoring Spain after beating South Africa 2-0. Here to make sense of the madness, we've got a lot to go through. I'm joined by Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Hoops. Hello. After all of that inhaling during the penalty shootout that we saw, (laughs) I'm going to do one big exhale. Wow. (laughs) Careful. You'll give yourself wind if you do too much of that. Um, Also with us today, uh, the WSL and ex-England striker Natasha Dowie. Hi, Tash. Hi, Kate. Very exciting to get stuck into the analysis, but not before we welcome commentator and host of the US podcast, The Women's Soccer Show, Sarah Ash. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. I actually need to do some inhaling because I didn't (laughs) breathe. For like 30 minutes at the end of that. So um, it's great to be here, though. I'll I'll start to inhale as we continue. All right. Brace yourselves, folks. There's only one place to begin, and that is with the first knockout match to go all the way to penalties. Well, the USA's dream of a three-peat is over as they were beaten on penalties by Sweden. Vlatko Andonovsky's side dominated from the start, having 58% possession, firing off 22 shots, getting 11 on target. Goalless at full time, though, it went to extra time. Sweden, meanwhile, only managed to test the US goalkeeper, Alyssa Nea, once in 120 minutes. It was the penalty shootout that did it for USA. There was a miss for Megan Rapino, who came on as a sub in the game for Alex Morgan. Sophia Smith 
also a miss for her, and Kelly O'Hara hit the post. Uh, it did go to sudden death, though, because earlier for Sweden, Natalie Brunn had missed and Rebecca Blunkvist had has hers saved. There was such drama in this one, everything in one game. Let's hear from Team USA first, shall we? Julia Bellas has been in the mix zone for us after the game and caught up with Crystal Dunn, Lynn Williams and Naomi Germa. Well, um, deserved to win, uh, created a lot of chances and um, we just didn't find the back of the net and game goes into PKs and honestly, PKs is a flip of a coin, you know, and um, I'm really proud of how we played. I think we came out and we really owned the moment. Um, just, yeah, sad way to go out. Um, so this is a World Cup of goodbyes also, Rapino today, Marta. Um, do they leave the, the game in a better place? How do you see that? Yeah, I mean, of course, this is been quite uh, an incredible World Cup in many ways. Um, you're seeing the growth of the game, obviously, in full display. Um, Pino's obviously a special person on and off the field. And, um, you know, this being her last World Cup, it's, it's you know, heartbreaking. Um, so I'm just going to enjoy moments with her and just be able to, you know, sulk together, obviously. But I think, um, you know, her, all the greats that are, that are leaving this game, this is their last World Cup, I think. Um, they are leaving this game in such a better way. Yeah, we definitely came together as a team before this game and said, you know, we just need to play our game, um, play a little bit more free, have more fun. Uh, we know we're good. We know that we can dominate. I don't think there's enough words to talk about Megan and her impact on this sport, from equality to human rights. To the, like the list goes on and on and on and on. And so that's going to sting a little bit as well, not to be, not to see her on on this team and wearing the crest anymore, but. I think she's deserved her hard work to retirement. Um, I can't wait to see what she's going to do in her next life, her next career. Um, I can only imagine what she's going to do now that she has all the time in the world. I think anyone who would say the U.S. is done is very mistaken. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of us coming up who are going to learn from this. Um, a lot of us who are going to be motivated to get better and get better results. So, yeah, I think there's a lot more ahead of us and that's exciting. And there was even a quick word from Megan Rapino. This, of course, her last ever World Cup. Megan, you just mentioned playing in a special generation of players. Lindsay just came through and reflected on like you, seeing Marta kind of leaving the World Cup behind and moving to what's next. I'm just wondering if you have any reflection on the young kids coming through, you know, like this game is for the youth now. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, the kids are taking over. Um, which is such a good thing. Um, obviously, so many of them in our squad are so young, um, so talented. Um, this is, you know, I think whatever, 13 or 14 players first World Cup. Um, so they'll all be back and, you know, better in just four short years. Yeah, it, it is, you know, it is sad. We've had some of the best players on and off the field that the game has ever seen, even, you know, Marto, Sink. You know, being able to be sort of like in the you know, the atmosphere with all of those players at the same time was was really special. And now it's, you know, time for us to move on and, and time for the new ones to, you know, cement themselves. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that in this tournament for sure. Sarah, should we start with you? I've seen a tweet from Fox Soccer, pitch the goal line, the ball just behind it with Alyssa Nair nearly kept it out. But the point is... She didn't, and it cost USA a place in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything like that, to be honest. That was 
you couldn't help. I mean, even as, as a U.S. fan, I, I simply couldn't help but just take a step back even in those moments and be astounded at how incredible this World Cup is. And frankly, at the end of the day, I think people are always going to point to that moment because that image will probably live forever. But what really kept us out was not finishing the incredible opportunities that we had for 90 minutes. And I think that's the headline for me. The fact that it couldn't have been any closer. We see those images, uh, the goal line technology just in the Premier League throughout the whole season here in England. And you get those close up shots. I've never seen one where the gap was so minimal between the ball and the line and the whole ball obviously has to cross. It can't have been any closer. And I think if we flip this around as well, I'm not going to apologise for this because I think we have to analyse and critique players as we see fit. But Lena Hurtig for Arsenal this season has has not really been at the, the races at all. And I just thought it was quite her for this season to even when she's winning something, it was so clumsy. You know, the fact that the save had happened or so we thought. D- does that make it worse for you and for the players, do you think, Sarah, to digest it because it came down to that? Um. No, I don't. I don't think so. I obviously I can't speak for the players, but I, I certainly haven't digested it at this point, and I absolutely wouldn't have if we'd lost. You know, even within five, if it hadn't gone to sudden death. I think the fact that we played the best game of the tournament and then this was the result is what's really the hardest to digest for everybody in the U.S. I think that at the end of the day, though, I think we'll be proud of the performance. But like I said. I think a lot of people are going to hang their hats on the penalties, but I, I, as a U.S. fan, will hang my, continue to hang my hat on the 90 minutes and not finishing in those 90 penalties. We know those are anyone's game, and I think the U.S.'s job as the better side in this game was to not let it go to penalties, and they did. We were always going to lose a big force in world football with this game. I'm not sure how many of us expected it to be the USA. Certainly when it went to penalties, I favoured the USA, but for one point. And here is the standout performance for Sweden, who were pretty poor, weren't they, Natasha, throughout. Zachira Musevic, their goalkeeper, 11 saves, probably the best individual performance of the World Cup so far. Absolutely. I think that if she's not in goal, USA win this game very comfortably. And the saves were unbelievable, to be honest. That Haran shot, incredible. The Morgan header, then Smith in extra time. You know, it's hard because I can understand where Sarah's coming from. But actually, with those chances, I don't really feel like the players could have done much more. I just think it's really good goalkeeping. Um, And I feel sorry for USA today. I really do, because actually, I think they're the team that did deserve to go through on today's performance. I was really disappointed with Sweden from start to finish, you know, to only have one shot on goal throughout 90 minutes. However, on the flip side, credit to them to stay in the game and actually allow themselves to go to penalties and then to have the opportunity to win it. Um, But for me, there was big calls throughout. It was a fascinating game to watch technically and tactically. I think some big calls by Black Co throughout the game. I think Morgan at the time that she actually got subbed was looking the liveliest of the strikers. So I think that, Yes, I understand Megan Rapinoe is a game changer and she's got history and it's her last World Cup and you kind of almost want the story to be written for her. But actually, when she has come on the last couple of games, she has looked a bit rusty and hasn't had the impact. Her crossing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, her crossing's been So off. I think yeah. that was, and I know she's a penalty specialist normally, which unfortunately wasn't the case today. But I just think that was a strange substitution for me. I thought Williams, when she came on, was really, really effective. And actually... Hold my hand up, Sonnet. I thought in midfield today, when I saw that, I thought maybe Ertz would go into midfield and Sonnet would go centre-half. 
But fair play to Sonnet today for a centre-half going into that midfield role. I thought she was one of the standout players for USA today. Yeah, and that Sullivan and Sonnet pivot was actually really important, Mm -hmm. really, really... Well, it offered something different. It offered an actual attacking threat, didn't it, in this game? Linz? Uh, Sarah, yeah, I know that you had an opinion on on the smile that we saw from Megan Rapinoe after the, the penalty miss. And I, and I wanted you to say that because I think there will be a lot of people when they were watching that on television, because you get the close-up as well, would be thinking, why is she smiling so much? But it, you think that there's quite a good explanation for that. Yeah, I, the way I read it, you know, I think I'm, I'm sure she's already getting a lot for it. But the way I kind of read it was Megan Rapinoe has almost become synonymous with penalty kicks. Like you just said, Kate, she's a, she's a specialist. And how I read that was just her processing the disbelief that that was the last penalty kick that she was going to take on the international stage. And I don't think that's how any of us thought that she would close her penalty kick career, if you will, on the international stage. And I think that was just a moment of disbelief for her. And that's how it came out. Sarah, let's talk more broadly about USA and where they go from here. Will Vlatko Andonovsky remain in charge? Are we just seeing a team in transition, a team that we're so used to seeing winning ruthlessly and that self-belief that they have? Are we just seeing a changing of the guard here? And when we look ahead to the next World Cup, Will they be in a better place with the personnel that they have? Because it, it feels like there is a bit of a clear out due and that will happen naturally, of course, with the exit of Rapino, possibly Morgan as well. Yeah, I think I've thought for a very long time that no matter what the result of this World Cup is, this is the end of Vladko Andonovsky's career as the U.S. Women's National Team head coach. Whether or not that's the case, um, that is, it's my opinion that that is probably the best move for the U.S. for the reason that you kind of indicated that we are in a transition period. And you know what? It was going to be a transition period since 2019, and it just wasn't handled correctly for the past four years. And so we are still in that phase, and it needs to be handled correctly for the next four years. And I do think that if so, then we won't see a U.S. in transition in four years. We'll see a U.S. that we found almost in 2015 or 2019 or a mix of the two. I wonder about the mentality. Tash, you were telling us off air, actually, last time we spoke about USA. You just gave us a little nugget of the self-belief that they have. And I just, I wonder if that's still there. I mean, right now they're going to be hurting a lot. I, I don't think any of them expected to be out. You know, the first time ever in history, this is, you know, the the earliest they've ever you know, they're champions, double champions of the World Cup. However, having played over in America for two years, and being in that kind of ruthless environment that it is over there, that's just the USA. That's how they've, they're kind of born, they're bred, you know, with that mentality over there. So they'll dust themselves off. It's going to hurt massively. I think their ego, their everything is going to be hurting because they are. This is their kind of World Cup. They're the champions. Um, however, it won't take them long. And if anything, knowing US and knowing the US players and their mentality this will make them even hungrier and probably an even more dangerous beast come the next World Cup. So, yeah, I think you made a good point earlier, and so did Linz, that maybe this is a good thing for USA, you know, to have that kind of knockdown that they're not used to. Tell us about playing for England against them, though. There was a brilliant anecdote you have that our listeners (laughs) haven't had the privilege of yet. Yeah, I remember playing for England once, and it was actually nil-nil. And at the time, to even get a result against USA was huge for us. And I remember the last couple of minutes of the game, I'm, I'm taking the ball into the corner, I'm holding it up, I'm time-wasting, trying to get us a point against USA. And one of the players goes to me, I don't remember who it was at the time, but she was like, as if you're just playing for a draw, what kind of mentality is that? 
you, you should play to win. And I was just thinking at the time, no, a draw against USA is incredible. But that kind of shows that every game they just want to win. <laughs> yeah, you are right. I do think actually, Sarah, that it would be a good thing for USA to experience a rebuild, to be able to know that they're they're not guaranteed that title every four years. I think they've got so used to it. And you came on and before we started this show, you said, oh, you're being very nice. I thought lots of people would be happy that we're out. And and I, and I can't deny that. I think a few people, I, well, I am smiling a little bit because I, I think the draw is opening up somewhat, but I think that has other connotations as well for England. But what what I feel is that there is there has been a perceived arrogance uh, around the team for a while. And I think Europe for, for quite quite a few years have been knocking and saying, look, we are on your heels. We are getting there. We've got this professionalization. The fitness levels are going to be much better. The standard and skill that we can present on a world stage is going to match. So we, we are coming for you. And whilst the USA have held firm and just been like, okay, that's fine, but we're still the best. So that's fine. You stay where you are, little children. It's okay. I think this does something good. I think it disrupts it. But I also wanted to bring in some of the fractions off the field, Sarah, and whether you think former players speaking out so freely as they have been, so critically as they have been, does some of that need addressing? Are there issues here that once solved... USA will come back and probably be even stronger. You need to discuss Tobin Heath and Kristen Press, by the way, <laughs> when you answer Lloyd. this, Sarah, yeah, because I yeah. am shocked by what I've been hearing from over there. Uh, okay, so there's a lot to address here. I think I'll, I'll start with, before I get on to the former players, but it all does kind of, it all kind of molds together. I actually completely disagree with, I think that the narrative that the US has always been so dominant and they've always won by so much is one that was created by the rest of the world. And I actually don't feel that it's true. And I don't actually think that anybody in the U.S. agrees with it either. We all remember the many years between 1999 and 2015. And there were many years in that where we were rebuilding and falling and rebuilding and falling and getting knocked off by Germany, by Japan. There are plenty of other dynasties in this world. And and that doesn't mean that the gap isn't closing. The gap is absolutely closing. And that's great. And I think everybody is happy about that. But to defend the arrogance, I, I think once again, I kind of just to point to you know Tasha's story. It's it's not an arrogance. It's a it's a belief and it's a confidence. And I actually feel as good as I've felt in the past three years about where the U.S. is at right now, coming off of this game, even though it was a loss because we saw them against Portugal fall to a back five, and that was accepting the draw. And they would not do that in this game, and that was. That was them showing that they were here to fight. And I actually think to touch on the former players, that might have actually helped rally the team in the locker room together. And those former players are just that. They are former players. And they can only have an impact on the locker room as far as the locker room lets them. So I vehemently disagree with what Carly Lloyd said. I don't, uh, on both levels, I think that A, you don't come on national television and attack the character of your former team. And B, I don't think it was the character of the team. And I, I said it on the last episode we talked about the U.S., it, it was actually in the coaching. And I think that came out loud and clear against Sweden, actually. I, I actually would be interested to hear, Tasha, your opinion. As a former player, you just don't 
go in that hard? Or is there a difference between going in tactically versus going in on the character like Carly Lloyd did? I think you're right. I think if it's a tactical thing and the women's game now, the amount of media it gets, it deserves to get the same kind of media like the men's game does, where it's not always sitting on the fence, you know, everything's great. You know, you have to be honest. And that's why we're on these shows is to give our knowledge and give our, you know, experiences. But yes, I think to probably attack people's character, I think then... That, that to me is then stepping over the line, to be honest. And I think that's, but to me, it sounds awful as well. It doesn't surprise me because the two years that I did spend in America and the kind of mentality and the, the feel that I had playing over there, it, very, it was very ruthless. It, very, it was dog eat dog. You know, you're Brutal. going, yeah, you'd go into the changing room. People wouldn't speak to you. It was pretty much like in wow. it for yourselves kind of thing. So that, that kind of doesn't surprise me. And Sarah, in terms of, of the penalty misses because Rapino, O'Hara hitting the post, they're probably walking away. But how about Sophia Smith? Because she is that shining light in this US team. She she has had games where she's dazzled. We know what she can do. Do you do the team now rally around her? I certainly hope so. Uh she's a bright shining light and it was absolutely heartbreaking. I think one of the first sights after the game was her crying into Megan Rapino's arms. And for a young player who has so much promise, it just breaks your heart to see that. But hopefully she can just take it for what it is, which is one penalty kick and move it along because she has such a bright future in front of her. And as Mal Swanson repairs her ACL, the future of the front line with the two of them is very, very bright. Should we just have a quick word on Sweden? They were under par. They were underwhelming. Tash, I'd written after that 5-0 win against Italy, Sweden have finally arrived at the World Cup. It felt like they went home again today or they sort of half went out the door. What did they need to do? I, I just did not get it today for the, for, you know, for a knockout game. I just didn't understand why they were so happy to sit back on it. Absolutely. I said it during the half to my partner. I thought if you're if you've got a time and a moment to go at this USA team, it is now. The way that they've performed in the the group stages, I was expecting Sweden to be front foot, getting at them, their confidence is low. But if anything, it was like they were sitting in kind of a mid to deep block. USA just dominated the ball. And that's never been USA's strength, to be honest. But actually today, it's probably some of the best technical football I've seen USA play. And it just took me by surprise. And if anything, the longer the game went on, actually then... They just couldn't regain the ball. Every time they tried to, they couldn't connect two passes. USA were pressing so well, counter-pressing, winning the ball back within two or three seconds and going again. And like I said, Sweden need to thank their keeper because I'm telling you now, she has had the game of her life and without her, there is no way they would have been progressing. Sarah, we'll leave it there with you. Thank you so much. This has been a shorter ride than I thought it would be with you on this podcast, which I'm a little bit gutted about. But you're over there now, aren't you, in Australia? And I know... Are you staying out there? I'll be here through the final. Ah, brilliant. Well, that is one presumptious American, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally yeah. joking. I'm totally I will joking. I guarantee, I guarantee the US team have booked out a hotel to the final as well. <laughs> guarantee it. I'll tell you what I did in 2019. I didn't even go over there until the semifinals. Uh, and that was, <laughs> I saw the two games. I saw the, the semi and the final, and it was a great trip. <laughs> so this is the opposite. When Kate and I were in Canada, awesome. our phones didn't ring until England were in the semifinals. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then everyone much, went mad. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And then everyone went crazy for it. This wasn't a fun thing for me to do, to watch the two, two and a half hours, three hours, however long it was. This wasn't a fun thing for me to do to watch this game. And I realized that this might be how England fans feel all the time watching their team. <laughs> I love that you've given us a dig back there, Sarah. Fair play. Oh my gosh, that's worse than the cup of tea. That's worse than Alex uh, yes. Morgan. Yeah, yeah, still yeah. Haven't, still, still haven't forgotten the cup of tea. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. And who knows, maybe we'll catch up with you again before the end of the tournament. Sarah Ash, thank you. She's host of the US podcast, The Women's Soccer Show. Take care. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Thank you so much for having me. This is the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. Well, so much action in the later kickoff. We're going to whiz through this one, but still worth some points to pick out from you, Natasha and Lindsay. The Netherlands, let's talk about them. They finished as runners-up in 2019, proved their credentials again as a serious contender at this tournament. They beat South Africa 2-0 in Sydney. Jill Rod scored her fourth goal of the World Cup. Uh, the Netherlands added a second in the second half after South Africa's goalkeeper, Kaylin Swart, made a really bad error, letting in Lyneth Berenstein's shot from distance. It slipped through her arms. Tash, let's start with you on, with you on this one. I did want to shout out South Africa, who I thought demonstrated really well how Spain can look to exploit Netherlands when both teams meet in the quarterfinals. What did South Africa do well from your point of view? I think on the counter-attack, they looked a real threat. I think the big difference between both the teams was the ruthlessness. And I think that's when the top nations, you know, tend to progress. And I think that was the only difference today. Netherlands took their chances. South Africa didn't. I thought Gatlana throughout the whole game was a real threat. And I think that it definitely showed the Netherlands' weaknesses. Uh, Spitz is an ex-teammate of mine, really lovely girl, love her to death, technically amazing on the ball, but her and Van der Grant aren't known for their pace. And I think today that showed when they gave the ball away, those channels, they could easily exploit. However, that's where I think the way the Spain play is very different. Spain are a possession-based team. So will they exploit those those spaces as much as maybe South Africa on the counter-attack would? But yeah, mm. great, great game. I think that the sad point is obviously Van der Donk getting the yellow card. She'll miss the next game, which is huge for the Netherlands. She was in tears after the game. But I think South Africa should be really proud. You know, I think their performance overall, a mistake by the keeper, which, you know, she had a terrific game swarting goal, really unlucky. But apart from that, really, it's 1-0, you know, except for that mistake. And Really, really proud of what they've achieved. South Africa were like anti-Sweden, weren't they? I thought they were so positive in their play, real display of pace through the middle, positive after the turnover, not afraid to be creative against the Netherlands either. They tried to do different things, which I really respected them for. From the Netherlands' point of view, though, Lindsay, unbeaten in this tournament, they've scored 11 goals from their opening four games. Where are they at the moment in your favourite table? They are probably third or fourth. And the reason being, and obviously we have this advantage of seeing Japan and England. Mm. And I think we're yet to see, aren't we? Um, I'm really going to be fascinated when they take on Spain because um, Spain winning their first knockout game, I think this is going to be the big test now. I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to watch that one. What the Netherlands have is this ability to punish you if you switch off as opposition. And there were just a couple of moments, just a couple of wayward passes. There was obviously the goalkeeper mistake. I, I felt like 
like it was a mistake in the build-up to Rod's header as well. I think that could have been managed much better by South Africa. So really, when they when they turn it on to themselves and go, well, actually, we played really well. We fashioned these chances. We were quick up the pitch. We showed that we had pace on a counter-attack. They are just going to be kicking themselves. But this is where teams like the Netherlands punish you. And that's what the big nations should do. I'd love to see Netherlands and Japan um, at some point as we're going down these stages, because I think that's the one question mark that Japan haven't answered yet, is how will they do with a team that are great at set pieces yeah. that can use that as a weapon, which I think the Netherlands can. Yeah, beware, by the way. The Netherlands have scored six goals inside the opening 20 minutes of their game. So that's something for Spain to be aware of. They like to get off the mark quick to the Netherlands. Well, we'd love to know what you think of today's games, particularly if you're a USA supporter, you know, add into Sarah's analysis earlier on in the show, please do tell us a tale from your perspective and where the team goes from here super interested to know what you think uh, hashtag offside wc you can find us at offside rule pod if you're getting in touch and you can also get your thoughts in ahead of tomorrow's clash as well last 16 england face nigeria the kickoff is 8.30 UK time in Brisbane. So eggs and bacon at the ready. Uh, providing us with her eyes and ears on the ground, let's catch up with Helen Hardy. This is Jade Moore. Join us for the Offside Wall World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. You'll have heard little whispers about what's going on in camp. We're a bit sort of, I suppose, impressed, confused, what's going on. Kira Walsh is back in training. A couple of days ago, I said, there's no way she's back for this one maybe the next one, if England get through. Um, what are you hearing? Well, all I can say is that she wasn't training yesterday um, with the team, and today she was training with the team. So, you know, by by my guess, just from, you know, prior situations where this has happened, I don't see her playing in the last 16 game. However, this is miraculous. I don't know what you guys think, but that's all we're seeing. This is a miraculous recovery from what looked like to all of us, an ACL injury obviously isn't an ACL injury, but it looks still very serious. Could you back for the quarterfinal? Who knows? And um, Linz was joking before we came on that I was going to do her as my um, pick for tomorrow <laughs> to try and win points. But even I wouldn't make that gamble. Just Sam Kerr. <laughs> it's just Sam Kerr you went for. <laughs> Tash, what do you think? I mean, you're the one with the most expertise out of all of us. You will have seen people come back from injury, players come back from injury. What's your assessment from what you've seen and heard? I think I understand the way that with all these injuries during the World Cup, the coaches have kept it quite hush-hush, maybe preparation and lead up to the games. And I understand that. But also as kind of a fan and a supporter and someone viewing the World Cup, it is a little bit frustrating that you're kind of always guessing, you know, guessing what it was, what the injury was. And for me, they made it quite clear it wasn't an ACL. So it's not like the Sam Kerr situation where they've kind of really not told us what she's done or, or you know, even if she is going to be fit for the whole tournament. But they made straight away quite clear it's not an ACL. So then tell us what it is. You know, you know what kind of grade is it? So we can kind of then understand you know, roughly how long she's going to be out for. Um, but again, then maybe they don't want to tell us that. So of course they to see don't. her, yeah, to see her back <laughs> in training is a big surprise for me. I did not expect to see that at all um, and a massive boost for England. So for me, for her to be back with boots on, involved in training, yes, she probably won't be fit for the next game, but I definitely think you'll be seeing her then maybe if they progress through obviously to the quarterfinals. The big question will be, of course, whether she sticks with the back three the minus Kira Walsh plan, as I think I'll call it, or not. I just don't know. Linz, tell me what your 
thinking about this one? Does she stick with what she knows? It was a surprise in the last game. It was brilliant, of course, against China. What does she do against Nigeria? I think it worked so well last time that we're all going to be expecting a similar lineup. It brought out the best strengths of each player in that position. It was the first time as well that I thought that England had really clicked this tournament. And without Kira Walsh, I don't think she's got much choice really other than to do two holding midfielders. Which she, it's a, When we're talking about it, it's not a direct replacement for Kira Walsh. We're basically making Georgia Stanway drop deeper, which I don't think... It, there's an alternative there and it's who you partner Georgia Stanway with now there are options it was Katie Zellum we have seen Laura Coombs be called on I don't think that would make too much of a difference who that partner is but I think having a two is is what's going to be integral and by doing that if you don't use a back three then it beca- becomes way too defensive because before you know it you're, you've not got the likes of Lucy Bronze or Rachel Daly if she was in the left-back position or whoever they put in left-back position being able to bomb on. And we need those advancements as we're going up the pitch. Otherwise, you're you're then somewhat weak in attack. I don't know whether you would agree, Tash. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think the way that Nigeria play and what their strengths are is the counter-attack. So I think to have that back three just gives us more support because when Mm. we play with a back four Lucy likes to get forward Rachel likes to get forward but then it leaves those channels wide open and then that's a lot to ask for a midfield player to kind of cover and help your two centre halves so I think to have that three as a real base and then if if obviously Lucy and Rachel want to bomb on then and Nigeria do hit us on the counter-attack then you have a solid three to support that. The only upset to that theory, we're talking about Rachel Daly as a left-back, but she wasn't used there, Tash, last time. So bringing Helen in, I mean, have you seen any training? Has has Rachel Daly still been used up front? Is she coming out with the strikers for warm-up? I mean, I wouldn't be able to tell you what position she's going to be playing in. All I can say is, I mean, I saw a lot of memes over the the last week just saying, hi, my name's Rachel and I play left. (laughs) And that's that's all it says. Who knows where on the left, but somewhere probably down that left is where we'll see her. Um, I think it gave her the right playing in that left wing back position, what I would call left wing back position. The wing to back position is good, yeah. To be yeah. able to attack, to be able to get into the box. And I think just to sort of add to what Tash was saying before, I think by having this formation continued from last week and becoming a bit more consistent with it, I think it benefits us later down the line against teams like Japan, which love to counter. I think that's going to benefit us a little bit more. And so I think I'm starting to wonder whether in the training that we've seen, whether they're just starting to cement and get comfortable with this three at the back formation um, in preparation for potentially later down the line when we're going to meet more counter-attacking teams, fast-paced teams, and we've got, you know, extra security at the back, but also with these nippy wing backs who can who can get back in support with defensively as well. Yeah, it's that it's it's being able to adjust, isn't it, regardless. Tasha, I don't I don't know whether you've worked out your starting eleven yet. My next question was going to be about who starts up front. We had, of course, Lauren James, Alessia Russo was the surprise pick really before the China game, but that worked out really well. Have you got an eleven for us? It doesn't change for me. You know, it's absolutely it's got to nothing. Be the same eleven. No, nothing at all. I think that Everyone performed so well. It was the strongest performance so far. You know, why change it? You know, if it if it's not broken, you know, then don't change it. So yeah, same eleven for me, a hundred percent. I'd argue Chloe Kelly didn't do, hasn't done very much wrong in this tournament. Obviously, didn't have the easiest opening two games. When she came on, she made a huge difference, and I'd argue that that would be the one player I'd rotate in. 
for who I don't know, but if we could go 12 aside, that would be great. <laughs> I just think, I think Chloe, yeah, um, I think Chloe Kelly's really sort of earned that, that spot in the starting lineup and she is a real difference maker, but it's really difficult. Where, where do we slot her in? I yeah. don't know. She is the it's one sacrifice, hard. isn't yeah. she, Linz? Mm. Uh, when we spoke about the back three, that also impacts attack for me. So Lauren James having that freedom, it does it does make a difference having the wing backs because she's given more space. And so that space that Lauren James was operating in, I don't think we take that away from her. And I think if we had a back four and we went narrower, then suddenly Lauren James is cut off. And I thought that we could see that in the first two games, but in the in the last game, obviously she had what was her star performance. Why would you want to infringe on that when you've got a player who's shown that she's one of the best at the tournament? Let her do what she does, but just make sure that you provide that protection. She's an automatic starter, isn't she, Lauren James? She's earned that automatic place in the starting eleven. This is looking ahead a little bit, but I'll ask it anyway. If England win tomorrow, they'll face Colombia or Jamaica in the quarterfinals. Both those teams, of course, have been dishing out upsets. Colombia... 2-1 against Germany. Jamaica, of course, knocking out Brazil. Which of those sides would suit England more? Tash, who would you rather face? Probably Colombia, if I'm being completely honest. I think that the whole story behind the Jamaicans and the way that they're, you know, running with it now and they're performing and they're kind of almost making history every game and they have this real togetherness that I think, and they're also style with the kind of threat and pace that they have as well within the team, I think could hurt England. I think England still, for me, pace-wise, it's questionable at the back. You know, that they're not known for their pace with Millie Bright and Alex Greenwood. So I think their style of players would hurt that more. Whereas I think Colombia, yes, they had a very strong first two games, but I was quite disappointed with their last performance. So I feel like with them, they could be a bit more hit and miss and they rely very heavily on Casado, and without her then I feel like they don't really have a plan B so I think Jamaica would be the one for me that I'd want to avoid. Helen before you go your Barry Crockers made it into the show title yesterday it was that good have you picked up any more Australian lingo for us? I didn't I really didn't think you were going to do this to me this time Kate I haven't planned anything. You don't earn a day off. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I swear this happens every time you say I need to just speak to more Australian people, don't I? Well, I hope you ingratiate yourself in Brisbane and uh, let's see if you can come back with a phrase or two. I'm also interested to know about the local food as well. Always very interested. I want to know as well, do they still have Barbies in the wintertime? Oh, Oh, not like the Barbie dolls, but winter barbecues. Yeah, I I mean, I guess it depends where you are, doesn't it? We're going to do it. We're going to have one. You're all welcome to fly over and join oh, us. So um, jealous. When I look on your Instagram, gonna... it makes me so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful out here as well. The, I think it's a total myth that it gets cold in um, Australia over winter. I don't believe it one little bit. We've seen people in jumpers, Helen. I, oh, We've seen just, people they're in not Geordies. They're not Geordies. That's oh, what right, it okay. is. <laughs> all I will say is I think one thing just from the ground the 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 confidence in the England fans has totally switched, and I think it's obviously related to all the teams around us, um, but also in the last performance and you know being one of the only of one of two teams that's won all the games so far. I think the confidence has really switched. I do wonder what impacts that, that's going to have on on the Lionesses because I think up to this point with the absence of Leah Williamson and Beth Mead, sorry, I'm like a broken record. I think we all came into this tournament a little bit like this, this England team, you know, they'll, they'll do the best they can, but it's going to be really, really tough. 
I think a lot of England fans now think it's coming home. And the way the draws opened up. Yeah, I mean, Germany the, going out. the confidence yeah. has really changed. And when you ask about Colombia or Jamaica, I just immediately just think, you know, bring on the semifinals. Like that's how the confidence is just <laughs> totally switched and everyone. Um, LJ7's bringing it home oh, for yeah. uh, for England. <laughs> Lynch is like, no, you're going to be so upset when you have to do that uh, episode yeah, where I'm, we go crashing yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am going to completely agree with you. And it's a point worth making, isn't it? Just how the, you know, Germany being dispensed of, USA looking poor, other teams looking shaky, just how much that plays into England's hands. And also whether expectation then starts to become a, a tricky thing for England here at this tournament. Helen, so good to speak to you. Safe travels. And uh, we'll catch up with you next time. Cheers, Helen. Good eye. Bye. Let's speak to Alistair Howarth, then co-host of the African Football Podcast, On the Whistle, as we look to Nigeria for this one. Um, Nigeria, two nil-nil draws, a really good 3-2 win over Australia, Alistair. I wonder what the vibe in the Nigeria camp is and how they're going to approach this game with England? What are their thoughts ahead of the game? Uh, I, I think there's a lot of excitement uh, coming into this game. I think, you know, you have to only understand the context of what this team has come through to, to realize what an achievement it actually was to get through kind of the group of death. You know, players not being paid for camps over two years ago. The team ended up going on strike at the AFCON last year and missing international windows. Their pre-World Cup uh, camp training camp was cancelled. And when I spoke to Randy Waldrum, he said at one point he hadn't been paid 14 months wages um, coming into the tournament. And so kind of, this, I think it really points to the strength of character of this team. Um, and Waldrum, you know, that's the one thing he kept banging on when I spoke to him. He was like, this team has got such character and such belief in themselves. And we've seen that in their performances. And I think, you know, obviously they're aware that England are kind of one of the biggest hitters, you know, probably a step up from Australia and Canada. But I think there is a real sense of confidence in this side coming into, into this game. Yeah, Nigeria, they've made the quarterfinals once before, haven't they? But it was way back in 1999. How do you explain, I mean, in, with other nations, we're talking about the rise of all these debutants coming through. How do you explain the journey of Nigeria from then to now? Yeah, I think Nigeria is kind of in this funny kind of half space where because they've been so dominant in Africa ever since kind of, you know, women's football came to the continent. They've always been in every single World Cup, but they haven't quite been at the level of your England's, your Australia's, your Canada's, your US's. So, you know, they're always at the World Cup. And I think they actually hold the record for the most World Cup losses, um, which isn't a great record to hold. But they've come so far in these last kind of, I would say, four or five years in terms of the quality of players that are also coming through. So, I mean, yes, they've never won a knockout game, but They've never been in such a difficult group and they've never come out of a group undefeated, let alone with two clean sheets um, and undefeated. So I think this is team that, you know, they're not fun to watch. They're not exciting. They're defensively rigid and disciplined. Um, but I think there is a lot of kind of cautious optimism in the camp and kind of in, in back in Nigeria, because I think this team does actually have a lot about them and kind of the capacity to play in these really difficult games. Yeah, you are right as well to point out the fact that they haven't won a knockout game, because when I say quarterfinals 1999, of course, back then it went straight to the quarterfinals. There weren't the last 16 wasn't it wasn't a stage beforehand was it so um so yeah do you think they need a different mentality then to get it over the line in a knockout game um I think yes and no I, I think they have a real winning mentality kind of forged in in playing in so many AFCONs and winning so many and and this team in particular 
has played so many of those really difficult knockout games in the AFCONs. You know, in 2018, they they beat South Africa on penalties and, you know, what was a really tough game. And even last year, you know, they, they played in that semifinal against Morocco. Yes, they lost, but they ended up playing 60 minutes plus with only nine players on the field. They had two players sent off and they still took Morocco to penalties and they almost won it in the kind of 120 plus one minute when Monday Gift hit the crossbar. So I think actually in terms of that, it's not a question of their mentality. It's more a question of kind of, the, the quality has been what's held them back because I actually think this is a team that knows how to manage really difficult games and really kind of high pressure knockout matches. Bit of a worrying stat, Nigeria haven't scored in their last four appearances against a European side. So I'm really into the tactical side of things. How do you see or what areas do you see Nigeria maybe thinking they can really hurt this England team? Yeah, I think that is kind of the, the biggest the biggest question because I think Nigeria have shown that they're really strong defensively, but it's going forward that, that they kind of, kind of struggle. I think so much of that rests on, on Tony Payne, um, who kind of plays in that number 10 role. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how she kind of manages playing against an England team that originally they would have probably thought played with that back three with Kira Walsh there, but with her maybe not starting, you know, is there is there a chance for her to find those pockets of space between the back line? Um, and obviously, then the biggest the biggest point is kind of Asisa Oshuala. You know, can you get her running at at you know, say Millie Bright? Yes, England have that back three that might cover Millie Bright a bit more, kind of in terms of covering up for her where she's not as strong. I still think the presence of Asisa Oshuala when she gets the kind of ball in transition, running at defenders, is is terrifying. So I think that's where they want to see. They want to see Payne getting on the ball, playing those kind of incisive through balls into Oshuala where she can run onto them and attack the, the England defence. Where else does the offensive threat come from with Nigeria? We've spoken about how good they are in defence, uh, Alistair, but it has to be about more than just, just Oshuala, doesn't it, going forward? Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I think the the other goal threats, I think, coming from this Nigeria side, I mean, we saw Uchiana Kanu score a goal again, uh, in that in that game against Australia. But I think the other big one is is Rashida Ajibade. Um, you know, she she plays kind of both strike kind of as a midfielder, but also she can play on the wing and she's played on the wing for Nigeria at this tournament. And I think, you know, she was the joint top goal scorer at last year's AFCON where, Asis, where Oshuala was injured and missed all the games. And so she's a real threat kind of coming off the wing, particularly she's, she tends to start on the right wing. But then it's when she moves over to the left wing in the second half where she really is a threat cutting onto her right foot. And both two of Nigeria's three goals against Australia came from her, you know, from a header being saved and then from one of her shots being deflected into Kanu. So I think she's kind of the biggest threat outside of Oshawa and particularly offset pieces. You know, this is a very tall, very strong kind of Nigeria side. They have players like Christy Ucheibe, you know, uh, Osinachi Ohale, who really provide a kind of real strong aerial presence. And we saw Ohale score off a corner against Australia. So I think corners as well is going to be kind of set pieces is going to be a big one. Just a quick word, Alistair, before you go on Ashley Plumtree. She switched allegiances, didn't she, from England to Nigeria uh, last February via her paternal grandfather. I keep forgetting that she's yeah, Nigerian. Yeah. I, and <laughs> Natasha had to point it out to me and the I, other day. Yeah, when you said, oh, you didn't pick a Nigerian, I was like, I did. <laughs> How is she getting on in terms of fitting into the squad? And look, will she will she be able to keep the likes of Lucy Bronze quiet on the right-hand side? Yeah, so I, I actually spoke to Ashley ahead of the tournament about this. And um, it's quite a cute, cute story. She didn't realise that England could be a potential team against Nigeria until her stepmom um, told her because she'd been collecting all the Panini stickers in hopes of getting <laughs> Ashley's. And then she kind of, while she was doing that, realised and called her up and said, oh, you could play England. 
and she she's buzzing she said i you know there's nothing more i would love than to play england to go up against these players that i've played with at kind of you know age age level um so she she has been brilliant i think for her it's been a huge you know she loves it and she speaks about so much buying into the nigerian culture you know we've seen clips of them singing dancing she says that's not something that comes to her at all naturally but she's really bought into it and she's become very quickly become a fan favorite and and there's no kind of you understand why because even though she's playing at left back which obviously she hasn't for leicester she's been excellent really really strong one one v one defender and so i think that will be a really interesting point, seeing how Nigeria manages those wing backs, because obviously they played against a back five against Ireland, but not one that has Rachel Daly and Lucy Bronze. So I think that's going to be a huge question is can she manage the movement of England? Because I think as a 1v1 defender, she can match someone like Bronze. But I think it's kind of when England get those interchanges and get moving the ball kind of can that backline cope with it is the real question. Well, look, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for giving us the intel on Nigeria. Alistair Howarth, co-host of the African Football Podcast on The Whistle. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks to Helen Hardy and Alistair Howarth there. Next up, it's our Ones to Watch predictions game. Here's producer Sophie with the rules. This is Ones to Watch from the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports, the game where you predict tomorrow's top player. So pick a player, and if they score, you'll get two points. It's one for an assist and for a clean sheet if they're a defender. A goalkeeper gets two points for a clean sheet and three for a penalty save in open play. If it goes to a penalty shootout, it's one point for scoring and a keeper gets two points for a save. Oh, and minus one for a red card or an own goal. We're going to be keeping tallies throughout the tournament for Kate, Lindsay, the pundits, the producers and of course the listeners. So keep track of your scores and let us know how you're getting on. You can join in any time by starting with the same amount of points as the person in last place. So pick a player and let's get started. So they are updated rules, of course. You get points as a goalkeeper for saving penalties or scoring penalties. They didn't apply though to today because all of us went with Netherlands players. If you're listening, by the way, and you want to join in, just start with the same amount of points as the person in last place. Yes, we all know. The scores are then. The producers lead on 23 points still. Uh, Their score didn't change after Esme Brute failed to contribute. I'm in second on 21, thanks to another goal from Jill Rod. Never lets me down. Uh, She also helped out, did Jill Lindsay, who moves up to 10 points. Well done. Oh, but you're not. No, 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 no. That was a massive tease for me. The pundits <laughs> team are three points ahead on oh, 13. Oh, that is so cruel doing it. Carla Ward also went with Brute. So oh. no increase for you, Natasha Dowie. So that's where we are right now. What I would like from you both is your ones to watch as England face Nigeria and Australia face Denmark. Natasha Dowie. This could be quick. Yes, it could be. And I think probably everyone's <laughs> going to go with her. But it's Lauren James. Three <laughs> goals, three assists, involved in six out of eight goals. I mean, is it too good to be true? But I'm just hoping she oh, no. keeps this run of form going. Producer Doogie has gone for Alessia Russo. So oh. Doogie's, uh, Doogie's sitting in for Sophie. What kind of legacy has he left her with? Producer Doogie's gone for Alessia Russo. I'm going to go for Mary Earps. I, I was on the Lauren James train. But I'm just, I'm going to go for Mary Earps. Lindsay Hooper. Oh, in that case, I'm going Lauren James. I might as well gain some ground. There is part of me, I was in agony there. I thought everyone was going to say Lauren James. And then there's that part of my personality that just has to go different. So if all of you had said Lauren James, I was going to go Lauren Hemp. But as it's only Tash, and I don't see her as that much of a threat at the moment. (laughs) So (laughs) 
going to go with Laura James. She's your main threat at the moment, oh. Lynn. She's closest to you in points. Anyway, yeah. uh, let us know how you get on at home, please. Use the hashtag OffsideWC at OffsideRulePod if you want to get through to us. Thanks very much to you, Lindsay Hooper. Cheers, Hoops. Thank you. Natasha Dowie, thank you to you. Thank you. As well as Sarah Ash, Helen Hardy and Alistair Howarth for their contributions on the show today. I'm off for a few days, leaving you in the capable hands of Helen Hardy and Hayley McQueen. This has been the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.